0: Welcome to HSBC Global Viewpoint, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. This HSBC Global Research podcast was recorded for publication on the 16th of February, 2023. All the disclosures and disclaimers associated with it must be viewed on the link attached to your media player.
1: Hello and welcome, everybody, to this week's Macro Viewpoint, our window on the top research from the team here at HSBC Global Research. I'm Piers Butler in London.
2: And I'm Aline Van Dyne in New York. Coming up this week, Jing Liu, our Chief Economist for Greater China, tells us what's behind faster-than-expected growth after the lifting of Covid restrictions just over a month ago.
1: European Union policymakers are training their regulatory powers on EV batteries. A new directive is taking aim at the main minerals in them. We'll be exploring the winners and losers in the supply chain.
2: And amid worsening energy shortages that are weighing on economic growth in South Africa, a preview of action next week by the South African government to fund a solution to the crisis.
1: Thanks for joining us. We turn to China First and our producer in Hong Kong, Graham Mackay. Graham has been speaking with Jing Lu about her report this week on the Chinese economy and why things are looking up for growth in GDP. Jing, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having
3: me.
4: So uh, new China GDP numbers, uh, mainland China that is, uh, can you give them to us?
3: Yes, we now see China to grow by 5.6% this year and 5.5% next year. That is a faster reopening process and faster recovery.
4: And what's fueling that recovery?
3: Actually, we see consumption Uh, to be the driver for growth this year. Everyone is familiar with the service consumption recovery during the reopening process, but we also see the goods consumption to pick up, especially on the category of discretionary consumption.
4: Now that's uh, somewhat of a unique position that that China's economy is in, isn't it, if you compare it to other economies and um, how they have progressed, let's say, post-COVID?
3: Indeed, we have seen most economies rotate from uh, goods to service consumption, but in China, keep in mind that uh, the government uh, stimulated the economy during the pandemic, many to support the enterprises. So as a result, quite some uh, lower income household, they may not have a stable income to uh, you know, draw on or not even a big uh, saving to draw on. So they cut back their discretionary consumption quite a bit. That's why we see it uh, to pick up uh, rapidly this year as well.
4: Now, one thing that we were talking about a lot um, at the time when we expected an eventual uptick in the mainland Chinese economy was, of course, the property sector. Um, How's that doing? Perhaps a little cooler than we'd initially anticipated?
3: Indeed, I think based on the Lunar New Year uh, sales data and uh, uh, you know uh, several weeks after that, we still haven't seen the substantial pickup nationwide yet. There are some early signs in selective cities, especially some tier two cities, where there are certain level of relaxation on you know price controls or um, a purchase restriction, as well as uh, lowering of the mortgage rate. Um, so this could actually become uh, more meaningful going forward.
4: Now uh, obviously policy is something that we can't ignore. We've got a big policy meeting coming up on the horizon. Uh, Remind us what it is and what we're expecting to see from it.
3: Right, that is uh, once in a year National People's Congress uh, where we will hear the uh, premier announce the target uh, of China and also uh, the policy mix, the policy focus of the year. We expect China to focus on uh, growth, Uh, and getting the economy back on track. So uh, in regard of that, we expect the fiscal policy to uh, take the lead. And actually now we see the fiscal deficit likely to be um, around 3.2% and also a higher local government special bonds, uh, likely around 4 trillion um, than last year. So these are examples of expansionary policies the government could still um, implement in order to uh, stabilize the economy. What about
4: monetary policy? What's the PBOC going to be up to in the coming months and quarters?
3: Right. PBOC will continue its prudential monetary policy with an easing bias, we believe. And it will do so mainly through the quantitative tools such as R card and likely more structural monetary tools uh, in order to inject the liquidity. So that's uh, basically in line with a pro-growth mindset we talked about just now.
4: Very good. Um, and let's just round it off with uh, a picture of what life in mainland China is like at the moment. Um, for anybody listening internationally, they've no doubt been seeing pictures of masks and hazmat suits for the last few years. But it's really no longer like that on the ground, is it?
3: Yeah. Uh, We actually seen in quite some cities, uh, at least uh, half of the people no longer choose to wear masks. And there's no mandatory mask requirement either. Uh, International travel and also domestic travel uh, have been uh, pretty much uh, normalizing in a sense that uh, no quarantine, no PCR tests are required. Um, So I would say this is a year of normalization and also economy getting back on track.
4: Very good. Um, Just uh, before you go, Jing, a little plug from all of us here in the multimedia department at Global Research. If you do want to know more about China's reopening and our new economic forecast, do give a listen to our other podcast, Under the Banyan Tree, recorded here in Hong Kong with Jing and Harold van der Linde. Jing, thank you very
1: much indeed. Thank you. And as Graham mentioned there, Under the Banyan Tree can be found on Apple and Spotify on the HSBC Global Viewpoint channel.
2: We turn now to Europe, an analysis by our environmental, social and governance team of the action by the European Union to tighten its rules on batteries.
1: Existing rules, in the main, focus on end-of-life battery recycling. But the new EU Batteries Directive will take into account the full life cycle. And notably, this brings into focus the supply chain for EV batteries.
2: To discuss the new policies, Dubai-based ESG analyst Lynette Cotterill joins us. Lynette, welcome. Thanks, Eileen. So why is the EU now turning its attention to EV batteries?
0: Well, in large part because there's a lot more of them being used in the EU and also the EU regulation that all new cars will have to be emissions-free by 2030. 35 means that even more of them are going to be used in the EU in in the not too distant future. So they need to make sure that the batteries that are coming in are as sustainable as possible. Because at the moment, all EV batteries that are incorporated into EVs sold in the EU are supplied by third parties, mostly from Asia.
2: And so what is it in these batteries that is so
0: concerning? Some of the key ingredients of an EV battery are, are minerals, such as a cobalt, lithium, nickel, natural graphite. And most of these have quite significant issues, certainly in their extraction. So whether it's environmental issues, such as a huge drawdown on the water reserves in the area in which they're mined, um, for example, in Chile, or for cobalt, more social issues. There's a lot of artisanal mining that goes on um, of cobalt in, in the Congo, for example. And in the artisanal mining, it's mom and pop operations, essentially. But there's a lot of child labor involved. And clearly, you know, there's no environmental protections or regulations or standards around that sort of mining. So there's pretty significant ESG issues around the supply of these these very critical minerals that go into these batteries
2: as you noted in your report this directive builds on previous rules that really focused on recycling aspects of batteries
0: and the carbon footprint tell us about that correct um and and the battery regulations in the eu um they're not really they're not actually specific to ev they apply to all batteries um, but they have been getting tighter. So, in the previous iteration of the EU battery rules, um, there was no um no mention of, of the supply chain. They focused very much on the carbon footprint of the battery and the end of life, you know, the recycling of it, et cetera, et cetera. So, what's really new is this focus on the mineral supply chain. And they've they've named four minerals, um, which is cobalt. Nickel, lithium and natural graphite, that companies are going to have to do due diligence on the supply chain all the way back to the extraction. So all the way from digging it out of the ground through the refining, through the processing um, into the battery and delivery to the EV car manufacturer.
2: So effectively, the EU is requiring battery makers to adhere to an entire set of
0: standards. Correct. They will have to um, put in place due diligence policies, and a lot of that is around traceability. So, you know, making sure that they know absolutely where this mineral was dug out of the, the ground, where it was refined, where it was processed, every step of the way from it being dug out of the ground to arriving in the battery in their vehicle. So it's really going to be shining a very bright spotlight on the supply chain of these minerals. So what's the impact of these changes? It's going to put in place a pretty high entry barrier for battery manufacturers serving the EU market. So it will favor those companies who've already put in place responsible sourcing policies, largely because they've known this type of regulation, is, it, you know, it's been coming down the pipe. It will also favor EV manufacturers who have started to take more control of their battery supply chain. So whether that's through building their own battery factories or putting in place partnerships and agreements around um, mineral supply. On the recycling side, 80 percent of battery recycling capacity globally currently sits in China. Probably the regulation will encourage some of that recycling capacity to shift from China to the EU itself. And Lynette, how soon will this begin to take effect? The due diligence requirements will kick in two years after um, entry into force of the regulation. So we're looking at some time in 2025. Um, And for those companies that have already moved in anticipation of this regulation, they're probably going to be in, in, in reasonable shape. Those who haven't even started, they will really need to start motoring to get everything in place within the two year time frame. Lynette,
2: thank you for joining us. Thank you.
1: From batteries, we turn to brownouts and worsening energy shortages in South Africa. More may become known next week when the South African government unveils its 2023 budget. The expected bailout of the state-run energy company Eskom may have huge implications on growth in South Africa and government finances. For more, David Faulkner joins us from South Africa. David, welcome.
5: Thanks, Piers.
1: David, in terms of this 2023 budget, uh, it's fair to say that the budget shortfall has shown some improvement of late, uh, but the macro and fiscal pressures have hardened in recent months, and that's giving for a more challenging outlook. Can you set the scene for
5: us? Well, we'd certainly seen some improvement in in fiscal dynamics. You'd had the the deficit come down from almost 10% of GDP at the height of the covid Pandemic uh, down below five percent, we think, for the current fiscal year. But as we go forward, we see a number of challenges uh, coming coming to the fore. That the principal one really is the worsening that we've seen in terms of uh, load shedding, which is what South Africa uses to to, to term power cuts. They are. are Extremely severe, and they've become much more persistent. So, SCOM, which is a state owned energy company, it's a monopoly in terms of energy provision in the country. It's introduced a, a range of rolling blackouts uh, over recent years that have got, got a lot worse. At the moment, we're seeing repeated stage six load shedding. This is when uh, SCOM take 6,000 megawatts of demand off the grid. That's the equivalent of 20% of demand. And it leads to power cuts that range from six to 10 hours a day. And this is having a debilitating impact on the economy uh, and the outlook for growth as both households and businesses face uh, the, the shortages. That growth headwind is certainly then filtering into a weaker outlook for government revenues. And it's also being exacerbated in an environment where commodity prices have come down. And we think the windfall from higher commodity prices, stronger terms of trade for fiscal revenues that supported that improvement in the budget deficit in recent years, is now turning and raising some question marks about the outlook for uh, the fiscal metrics.
1: So if we can drill down on ESCOM, um, it's it's not a new issue. This is a result of several years of underinvestment.
5: So we've been experiencing periodic uh, power cuts really since, since 2007, but they've got a lot worse uh, in the past uh, two or three years. Um, it is the function of a, a range of issues, principally the fact that ESCOM uh, has an aging fleet of power stations, most of which were built in the 1960s and 70s, uh, that have been very poorly maintained uh, over a long time horizon and therefore are breaking down repeatedly so at the moment we face around about a third of the fleet of power stations being off for unplanned reasons uh, equipment failure breakdowns and not being able to supply a secure uh, energy supply to, to to the country um and that chronic lack of investment has meant that this situation has just got re- progressively worse weighing heavily on the economic outlook
1: And so if the government provides more funding to ESCOM, that has a knock-on effect on everything else and ultimately
5: worsens the outlook for the budget deficit? So we now see uh, the government putting an additional... 20 billion rands into escom at the moment they've already committed to putting just over 20 billion rands into escom as well so that's a total of 40 billion rands Uh, a big chunk of this will be to to, uh, for diesel use to alleviate the worst of of the load shedding Uh, but that's around about 0.6 percent of gdp and it will place an upward pressure on the size of the fiscal shortfall
1: so you've updated your forecast for budget uh, deficits Uh, can, can you just tell us what they are now
5: So we now see the budget shortfall at 5.4% of GDP in 2023-24 and we see it widening to 5.8% of GDP a year later. Now that contrasts with the government's current projections that sees a consolidation in the fiscal shortfall, that sees that shortfall coming down to 4% and below as a share of GDP. And part of that is the more money going into ESCOM, part of it's a greater amount of cash going into public sector wages And then the other part is the fact that we think revenue will underperform the government's current estimates by around about 0.6% of GDP.
1: So if the global economy does recover, that's clearly going to alleviate some of these pressures. But surely South Africa needs to implement uh, structural reforms as well?
5: Certainly. Uh, On the energy side, what is important, and the government is taking steps in this direction, is to crowd in significant new private sector investment in renewable energy in the country, uh, there have been significant commitments, there's significant ambitions, uh, but that will take time to, to come to fruition. Over a longer time horizon, though, that greater private sector competition and investment in energy generation should start to alleviate this energy constraint and provide the basis for a stronger, longer term growth outlook.
1: David, I hope you managed to keep the lights on, but thank you for joining us today.
5: Thanks very much, Piers.
1: So that's all the time we have for this week. Special thanks to our guests, Jing Liu, Lynette Cottrell and David Faulkner.
2: Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week.